Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our new episode of Vox Vomitus. If you are watching us live, you are seeing that we are here at an earlier time for us in the United States, but that is because we are with a very special guest today, Miss CJ Cook. Joining us today, of course, are my Vox Vomitus vixens, uh, Miss Trisha Ridinger McKee, author of the Beyond series, as well as her Christmas collection, All I Want for Christmas, as well as Allison Martin, author of the Bourbon books. So, oh. Are you drinking bourbon? Isn't it like 10 a.m.? It's in the eggnog. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting to show it. off right on Mike. It was morning there. So, CJ, thank you for being here with us. Can you tell our viewers a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes. Hello, everyone. I am CJ Cook. I'm the author of The Nesting, um, which was uh, published in the United Kingdom and the US and Canada. Um, in the fall. I think it was published first in the US in September and um, my previous novel out there was I Know My Name. It was published in 2018. Um, I also write under my name Carl and Jess Cook. I write poetry and a lecture at the University of Glasgow where I live and it's a pleasure to be here. So um, I, I'm always fascinated by the two names. Uh, Alison is a two-name author. I, <laughs> so um, I love it. When two people, pen names. Not, yeah. not most have two names because Jennifer's like Jennifer and Gordon. That's three. That's not what you mean. Right. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, so I love that. Uh, CJ, how do you describe the nesting? Because I was describing it on Facebook to somebody and I said it was gothic. It was psychological suspense. It was Nordic noir. And it was, I think I threw in like architecture thriller. <laughs> and somebody was like, is that a category? I'm like, <laughs> it is not. It is now. I think, I think that's a really good, yeah. I, I, I really struggle with fitting in categories. Um, I, I just write what I want to write. And I'm, I'm interested in psychological fiction. I'm interested in the Gothic. Um, I'm interested in architecture and I'm interested in motherhood and so all of those things kind of just are in the book um, which, Yeah, I, I noticed that my books are frequently reviewed as a little bit different because they they are I, I just I don't like fitting easily into a genre which is I suppose a bit of a problem but yeah I, I because I like to read books that aren't that don't fit easily in a particular category I like to read books that are quite interesting and different and and that's what I write. So I love that. And I, I forgot that I also had in my list of what your book was, um, Nordic Folklore. It was like Nordic, <laughs> for, Nordic Folklore Architecture Thriller. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and, and somebody said, what does that mean? And I said, there's elk, but there are also like solar panels and really interesting architecture inside caves. And they were like... Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the folk is definitely there. I, I remember when I had the first draft of my editor and I had a little bit of folklore in there and she's like, we love the folklore. And I was like, really? Because I can, I can do that all day. And she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that, that finds its way in there as well. So she kind of calls it a little fairy, like a fairy tale. Oh, yes. I like, I think fairy tales are wonderful because they can be 
really other, really interesting and dark, but you know, they, they, they don't fit easily into a genre either. So I like that. I had, I mean, I had such a good time reading your book because I, I read a lot of Gothic fiction. I read a lot of psychological suspense and I write Gothic fiction and psychological suspense. So there's always that trope of there's a woman who has to go someplace else, whether it's in my book, an island, in your book, she goes to Norway, uh, <laughs> and then something happens. Yeah. Uh, but what I loved about your storytelling Sorry. is that I didn't really know what was going to happen because there was a little bit of a supernatural aspect. There was, um, you know, a mystery of the dead wife, which I always love the, like the dead wife trope in Gothic books. Um, so did you ever think as you were writing it that you were putting too much, like too many different side things in there? I don't know. I, th I, I think it's just, I think it's just how, how I write. Like, I, I think there is a lot in this book, but yeah, I, it's just, it was just how the story came. I mean, my, my investment was in the relationships. And I think, you know, I, I was just very, very invested in those little girls who've lost their mother. Um, it's not a spoiler. And I was interested in, invested in the nanny and, and her story as well. And also in Tom, architect and his wife. And, and that, that was what, that was where my attention was really with the emotional story, um, is exploring those relationships and how they're all changed by each other. So yeah, I, that was what I, I hoped that the reader would come out with was that appreciation for those relationships. Well, I did, so I can I can only imagine everybody else did. Uh, you, since there was so much going on uh, in your book, so many different world-building things, do you plan those things out, or do you are you a pantser like the rest of us here, and it just happens, and then all of a sudden there's an elk, and you're like, oh, I got to go with this. I think you know I, I used to be a pantser when I started. I started publishing. Um, my novels in 2011 and uh under carl and jess cook and and then i i just used to write with i had a sort of idea usually very high concept and then i just went for it and and that was an exciting way to write because you're you're finding out as you write and i, I still love that but i've become a planner that said i i like to plan but in a, in a sort of elastic way so that the the architecture if you like gives me space to because you can plan all day long and then something doesn't work you know something that sounds in theory does not translate well in the story or in the page so i like it. and then sometimes you know like you can experiment with with an idea that just emerges as you write and it becomes really central so in this book, for instance, there's a character called Dora, who you might know, um, and Dora just emerged, and I love Dora. Uh, that, that was not planned. So, but yeah, it's it's fun when things that you don't plan find their way there, and I just find that having that structure allows me to sort of figure out how to insert, not insert things, that sounds too like Lego or something, but you know, it, it, it provides a, a sort of template or, or a, a framework because 
I, I remember writing this and thinking, what comes next? And then I, I, I referred to my index cards and was like, oh, that's a good idea. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I was just, I think, you know, it's just about keeping track as well. Sometimes it's the overall structure. I wanted to ask, when you started as a pantser and then moved to a plotter, was that an intentional decision or did you just find that your process was changing as you became more adept at writing books? Or did you say at some point, this pantsing isn't working for me, I need to learn to do something more structural ahead of time so that it serves me as I'm actually writing? Well, I had a, uh, an experience that maybe will make other people feel better. Um, with my second novel, um, I, I got my edits back and they basically wanted me, I ended up having to delete over half the novel. And it was such a painful process to have to do that. Um, I mean, it was, it was so tough to not have to delete half of it, but to know which, which parts of it delete. And I just felt, yeah, it was, it was so tough. And I suppose I just, on hindsight, the, the, the real lesson learned was I thought, you know, in future I can see how I could avoid that. Mm -hmm. If I had maybe just thought of that beforehand, I mean, cause we, we all want to just write the perfect novel from the, from the outset. Yeah. But um, I did sort of reflect and I thought, right, in future, in, I, I think I could, I can still be creative and I can still be surprised by what comes on the page. But I, as long as I kind of think of the framework and, and really think it through, then that will save time. See, And it has. Good. So our show is called Vox Vomitus, which is fake Latin for word vomit. And as pantsers, we always just will jokingly say, what part of your draft are you on? And we're like, just like the part where it's just word vomit, where you're just typing yeah. and you're like, I don't know where it's going. I thought I knew where it's going. Yeah. I might be like driving myself into a brick wall right now. <laughs> uh, and I, I often think, would it be easier to plan this out and know what I was doing? Yeah. Um, and so I was curious if you had had a, and you obviously did a very traumatic experience where you had to lose half a book. Yeah. And, and I think, I think there is a real, you know, value and it's essential to understand. I always say this to my students that you've got to have the writing or the word vomit, and then you've got to have the editing. And if you conflate the two, there's problems. It's, it's not, you know, but people who are, perfectionists struggle with that um and i think i am a bit of, of a perfectionist but i think at least if i have a an idea of the plan the shape of the story then yeah i, I can kind of i don't know it gives me a sense of where where to go and what, how to build the narratives and and weave those together so it's yeah it's um my process i think is a bit of a hybrid one I'm not married to the, the, the plan. Yeah. I think they're calling that plantsing now. Plantsing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The kids. We anything. Two <laughs> words all become one. <laughs> it's the smush name. But you said index cards, and I just, I guess that would be a very helpful idea. In my yeah. brain, I always think if you're planning, it has to be one of two things. An outline, which is horrifyingly scary to me 
or one of those like serial killer walls where there's just yeah. a million post-its and strings. People like that intimidate me because this is honestly, I'm like, I feel like I'm not a writer because I don't have that. Yes. You know, this is this is my office space. I'm the smallest office in the whole in the whole world. It's basically like in our closet in a little kind of what used to be a cupboard or a bookcase. And you can see I've got plants and pictures. I've got no serial killer charts. <laughs> um, no, I, I like I like index cards because I like spreading them over the dining table and seeing like the kind of overview of that shape and then moving things around and seeing how things will come together and and it just gives me a real lovely brainstorming approach so that your first idea may not be the best one so by looking at it then I'm like well what if I does it have to be set here or does this person because I started writing this novel where this person was a scientist and after a while, I was like, because obviously that's going to involve all this research in, in the field that I, I am not a scientist. And then I'm like, why, why do I have her as a scientist? And, and I think having that kind of, you know, that critique can save time um, before you're going to keep it calm. Sorry? If she, if she wasn't a scientist, what did you turn her into? A cleaner? <laughs> oh my gosh it's very different <laughs> i love oh it she can be on this ship she can totally be on this ship she does not need to be a scientist to be here um she can be there as a cleaner so and that that's perfect because i i also love writing about people who are working class mm -hmm. i guess I, I, I don't know what you call it and if it's the same in, in the u.s but i i like the underdog i i you know I, I like writing from both because I, I work in academia and have done since 2002. Um, but I, you know, I grew up in a, in a, what's called a council estate, um, very poor, very, very working class. And I, I love the underdog. So yeah, that to me, because I've no problem researching science all day long, if that's essential, but if it's not, then it's a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, I would never create a scientist character just because I would be overwhelmed with the with the research. I have a science aspect to my new work in progress and I'm already overwhelmed and I've enlisted somebody who is an immunologist and is a scientist who's like, if you want me to research things for you, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. please. Yes. Because I went down a rabbit hole on Google and was just like, I don't know where to look in medical oh. journals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's boring. One of my, one of my characters um, in, in one of my earlier books was a child, psych child psychiatrist. And I didn't even know at the time that there's this huge difference between psychology and psychiatry. <laughs> until I, you know, and that's, that's a big thing, you know. Uh, and so, yeah, I did loads of research um, and visited and interviewed psychiatrists and psychologists and, and got fat fact-checking reads but it can break your brain like having to research that heavily you can just be yeah you have to make sure it's essential otherwise yeah. it's well and i was just laughing when you turned your scientist into a cleaner because jen has actually done research on laundry so she's even researched cleaning when it's a historically done thing so she'll find a way to research pretty much anything even if you think i think we all know how to do this but i mean the first step is don't eat tide pods 
<laughs> I don't really know what step two is, but that was step <laughs> That's the only step, really. And then make sure it, whatever happens, it's clean afterwards. That's the yeah. two steps. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to throw this over to Trisha. Trisha, do you have any questions for CJ? I do. I'm wondering, um, in your writing, I think we all have our strong points that we're aware of and our weak points. What would you say is... Um, your, your strength when it comes to writing and what is your weakness? Oh gosh. Um, I, I hope that my strength is my language. Um, because I, I, I didn't start as a novelist. I started as a poet. Um, Mm -hmm. I still, I am a poet, but I, you know, now I'm a novelist also. Um, but I, I really pay attention to the language I'm using even right. though it's a hundred thousand words. I hope that's a strength. Um, I don't know. I hope so too. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I really pay attention to things like voice and if the voice isn't right, I, I can't start. So it's, it's all well and good planning, but essentially the voice has to be right. Um, and I have a band and very beautifully planned projects because I just couldn't get the voice. Mm. And I guess my weakness, what my weakness be? I don't know, I just, I'm sure I have many weaknesses. Um, I don't know how to define it. I, I, I'm constantly trying to challenge myself. I mean, I, I think most novelists must feel embarrassed by their previous works. And I, I, I know I do. Mm. I, like, I, I, I look back at books and think, oh, no. could I not have written that better? Could I not have... You know, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm never, I'm never happy. Yes. So that's the perfectionism you were talking about though earlier, because there are people I'm sure who will never look back at them. I think we've talked to a few who are like, I don't reread those. They're done. I've written seven novels since then. Close that door. That's a different kind of personality type where there is that reflection on the past work. And also I'm assuming if you've written more than one thing, making sure that whatever you didn't quite nail in the first book or in the prior book, how can you improve on that in the next book and make the reader's experience better the next time? Exactly that. I'm constantly, I I do read my Goodreads reviews and Amazon reviews, which I I know it's awful. (laughs) I I torture myself. I just, I must think, Hey, I'm having too good a day. I must go read my reviews. Um, They were I get a wonderful review it's like oh that's nice and if I get a horrible review it just can like destroy me but mm-hmm. sometimes I, I do I do like the feedback and I I just I think it's important um and so I, I just I take it on board and yeah I'm constantly I mean I take so long editing now I take so much longer editing than I used to and I I, I can't believe that I used to think that I could get away with not editing as much as I do now. It's ridiculous. How so. many drafts do you think you go through? Like how many edits? How many? I don't even point. I don't, don't even point because it's too many. And <laughs> I, I, it's, I, it's not. Your book was beautiful. So whatever you did, you should <laughs> well, be too doing many for that. her because she's just like I, I had to do all of them for you. You got the beautiful finished product. Her, she's like the number was like this and eight on the side. <laughs> I always feel like there's like this arc in editing where the first draft is vomit draft. Second yeah. draft, you think I could win an award. <laughs> Third draft, you're like, 
probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Fourth draft, you're like, oh, it's not that bad. But then, like, fifth draft, sixth draft, you're like, are these sentences? I hate this story. Yeah. And yeah. and then you keep going back to it. Do, do you keep going back and going back even through all of those, like, I think I might hate it now? How do you talk oh, yourself oh, back I, into I, loving it? I don't think I hate it. I, I actively hate it. I mean, yeah. I despise it. I, I feel sort of nauseous when I read it. <laughs> Um, so I, but I think over time through experience, um, I understand that that's just part of the process. So it's, I mean, I, I still have many bad days where I just think maybe I'm not a writer. Maybe I should just go and teach yoga or something because clearly I can't write. Um, but you know, we all have those days yes. and I have to say with the nesting because, because Lexi's voice was so strong from the beginning. I think, I think this wasn't as painful as some books. Um, I just loved it. I loved writing her. It was still difficult to write, as writing is, yeah. but I loved writing her. I could have she, written her for five books. She's a great character. She's interesting as all get out. Uh, and again, not a spoiler, but not a super reliable narrator off the bat. Uh, I, I loved her. And I remember halfway through the book thinking, Gosh, like I, I would read another book with her. <laughs> like, I, either a prequel, I don't care. I just liked her character so much. Uh, and there was so much there. Um, yeah. So yeah, I get that. When the character's strong enough, you can you can buckle down and go through all those edits just for the love of the character alone. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask about the editing process. If it's different when you're in a collaborative state versus some of the stuff that maybe you're doing by yourself, because when you got that book back, the one that made you more of a planter because they told you to remove it. Cause I'm assuming that was somebody else telling you this has to go. Yeah. How, do we, how is somebody else telling you what you need to do? How is that different than your own process of looking at it and trying to determine, all right, I need to, I need to hone this. How do you interpret when it's somebody else telling you fix this and you're going, the whole thing has to go. Can I just start over? Cause I don't want to do all the things you're telling me to do. Yeah. So that, that book um, was the boy who could see demons and it was contracted. Um, and my editor at the time, I mean, I, I did trust her. I, I don't think, I don't imagine that I was thrilled with the suggestion, but I, I did trust her and when I was editing it and sending her kind of installments of the edits, which I did really quickly. I, I mean, I say I had to cut over half, but I, I actually did those edits in like four weeks, um, which, which looking back, I, I look back in my, I guess I was 32. I don't know. I just feel like I had much more energy back then. I was going to say, oh, 32. I think I could print that in four weeks. Yeah, um, but my I had three three little kids, like little babies, and I just honestly, I think, what was I on? But I was I was able to turn it around in four weeks, and as she was, she's ringing, and then she's emailing back, like, "Oh, this is amazing!" So that was that was good, and I really paid attention to her response, and that helped. That really helped um, guide me because I have to say, when I was, I felt like I was writing blind. If I hadn't had that feedback, when you're trying to implement instructions or not instructions, but someone has said you must change this, and obviously I was happy with what I'd written. So, it, but it does take 
I think it takes experience. Now I can do it a lot better, a lot easier. And that's taken 10 years. Wow. 10 years and a bottle of wine. <laughs> more, than, more than a bottle of wine. <laughs> I've spoken to authors like Samantha Downing. Um, and they, although, you know, Samantha Downing, she's on her third book now, but her debut, but prior to that, she'd written... I think she said she wrote 12 books before that, or it was her 12th book. And I really took my hat off to people who have done that, although they've maybe published, you know, one or two books, they've written so many more because it does take, I think, that dedication to to acquire certain skills. Um, and one of them is, I think, just understanding that the process does sometimes feel painful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're like we're all like yeah yeah <laughs> yes, it does <laughs> especially during 2020 i feel like it's just oh gosh yes. like uh so did you feel the nesting came out at the end of september here in the united states i think it was september 29th That's did right. you feel this debut was different than your others because it was like in this weird netherland that we live in now where we're just only squares on a screen yeah yeah <laughs> I, I don't think there's any authors who you know are thrilled about being published in a pandemic um it's, it's <laughs> well, like, no, no it's, it's not easy but i don't know there's sort of statistics that people are reading more but but certainly you know to to have bookshops closed as they were over here and it's not it's not ideal but you know and, and even in terms of trying to write i mean i did write this year but i felt like everything took five times longer yes i'm okay. sorry i'm like what is that we're all just all the time in the world but yeah, and making sure it's not just like, has my brain been broken by 2020 and we're all just counting down until then? We know it won't magically change in 2021. The ball won't drop and the curtain lifts and everything's reset to normal. But I think we're all just hoping it'll be a little bit easier as time goes on. Our brains will read gelatinize, maybe? I hope so. I hope so. But I have heard, like, my some of my friends who are authors are saying the same thing, that they were late in, sub in submitting their work. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I have a novel coming out next year, um, which I'm doing the edits for right now, but it, it has been, like, I don't know, wading through treacle. Yes. <laughs> I love the word treacle, sorry. <laughs> As an American, I had to look that up when I first read it in a Terry Pratchett book because I had no idea what treacle was. We don't have treacle here. It's molasses. I know, but we don't call it treacle here. I know. I know. I had a whole debate in my head oh, in my last book because there was a scene with molasses. Yeah, the molasses. The molasses scene, which, yeah. spoiler alert, there's molasses. Anything. There's molasses. Uh, but the family is originally from Northern Ireland. And I was like going on and on going, should it be treacle? Should it be molasses? He's been in the United States a while. Is it molasses? Is it treacle? And then I, I, I messaged some of the people that I know that consider themselves Victorianologists. And they were just like, this is not even a question that you should be asking. Who cares? And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm glad I sent out 10 emails about treacle or molasses. This is why my show is called Word Vomit. Well, that, that's as bad as I'd, I'd gotten a book that was a 
I think I got it someplace like Ross or TJ Maxx. So not a bookstore that normally carries a wide variety, but it was a Jamaican cookbook and it was amazing. But it had it had ingredients that I'm like, what's an aubergine? What what? It's an eggplant, but nobody calls it out here. So it's the whole cross the border and then change the name of the food. And I completely get confused and you need like a translation in the back. You're American. <laughs> we speak American. I know. We speak American and we don't understand that. <laughs> um, I have a question for you, CJ. Is there a genre or a type of book or a type of scene that you feel like you never want to write or feel like you can't write? Um, like erotica or something. <laughs> Right. Probably that's probably but I'm, I'm actually because you're British. I, I don't know. I just I, 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 I don't know. I just <laughs> I'm comfortable. I, I, I don't know. I just I feel cynical <laughs> about all that. I'm I'm in a moment in my life that I'm I'm not. I'm just bored by that. I, I want something that challenges me. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I would be up for writing uh, romance or I, I don't know. Sometimes I have some ideas and I think that would make a really lovely, lighthearted comedy. But then invariably, you know, someone comes in with a severed head or, you know, uh, yeah. an elk. Comes in. An elk. An elk. <laughs> so, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think there's the idea and then there's the execution. So, um, I, I don't know. I think I'm just, I always incline towards dark stuff somewhere along the way. Well, and I couldn't help it, Jen, when you said those, what she wouldn't do. My first thought was elk erotica. And I thought, is that oh, a thing? It <laughs> probably is. <laughs> but don't <laughs> look it up. Do it for like a, not, use no. somebody else's computer for that. Yeah. <laughs> I so think I see search already will get me into trouble, so... <laughs> So I also write, I tend to write dark and my current work in progress, when I first thought of it, I was like, it's a rom-com, except it's dystopian. But as I'm writing it, it's, there's less comedy in it. And so I'm like giving it to people to read and they were like, you said this was going to be a comedy. And I'm like, but isn't it? And they're like, no. I'm like, shoot i then i have to like rebrand this as i don't know we've had a conversation of what what's rom-com and what comedy and that since comedy is so subjective you, you could be laughing up a storm and all your readers are going what the I was laughing. I just <laughs> and so maybe this is your version of a rom-com but maybe don't put it in those categories when you find because when I was writing the nesting, I actually tonally or in terms, yeah, in terms of the tone, I thought it would be very serious. But um, Lexi, when she started to talk, was very funny. She is and, funny, and it, she's funny, it, and she's talking about things that are not funny. But I was still like chuckling, which is why I love yes. her so much. I'm like, oh, she's twisted. I love her. Yes, twisted. That is the word. <laughs> I, but I just, I just didn't anticipate that. My, my plan was n was not that. And so, but I love that. So I, I went with it. But I, I kept thinking this doesn't feel like it should. This feels too humorous to be a gothic thriller. So it's nice well, when that it, happens. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it kind of carries the the reader through the story because they fall in love with the character um, and they see kind of how she changes, he or she changes over time by experience. And uh, you did a great job with that. Thank you. And I loved Dora. I did too. When I was in Norway, because I did a lot of research for this book in Norway, and I uh, th this time two years ago I was in the Arctic, and I went right to the top of Norway, just on the Russian border, and um, we went to this little fishing village, and obviously it's, it's pitch black, and it's like there's forty residents in this in this little town, but there was an art gallery in this fishing village, like nobody there. It was so surreal. And she had these most amazing Arctic scenes, but she also had created little figures. I wish I had had it here, but I bought this little, I guess, crow raven thing. And it, cause it just reminded me of Dora. Um, that was, that was who Dora was in my mind. So yeah. I, so spoiler I alert, Dora's a bird, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> a beautiful raven. She fully had a personality. So she did. Um, <laughs> so it, I, I was in Alaska once and we were again in like this tiny little town where there was nothing and yeah. there was an art gallery. I know. And I remember buying just like this weird sculpture that was made of driftwood. And I'm like, this is definitely what I need. And then I brought it home and, and I realized it looked exactly like a penis. <laughs> and, and my, my now husband and I looked at it in our room and we're like, did we buy a penis sculpture in Alaska? Wow. So there's that. At least you got a beautiful raven. I did. <laughs> Honestly. That's a better story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> More inspirational. Well, and I'm just I'm just jealous that you got to go where you were writing about and not just not just locked in, but not all writers have the ability to go these places. And obviously if they're writing about something set in outer space, they're probably not going there anyway, unless they've got like an in with Tesla. But otherwise, I, I love that you're like, I'm going to go to these places and feel these places. What would you do, though? Are you then limiting yourself by places you can go? Or are you are you open to writing to places that you're going, well, I'm not going to get down to Australia right now. Can I still write in Australia? Or would you pick someplace else? Um, no, I, th I think there's so much now that you can do online. So a book that, that I published in the UK but hasn't come out yet in the US Um Part of it is set in Mont Blanc in the uh, French Italian Alps. And I am not a hill walker um, <laughs> at all. And, and you know, and I really had to sit and think because I'd been to some of the places in the book, but I hadn't been to Mont Blanc. I hadn't. And I find on YouTube that people put uh, cameras on their helmets and will go climbing. So I literally watched hundreds of hours of footage of people climbing and emailed a climber and got information. So I, I researched it and I probably benefited more from that than if I had done the climb myself. Because um, you would be scared and crying. <laughs> and I would be. I would be crying. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's bursting. No good. These, these are people, I think, you know, these are experts. These are people who are so seasoned in, in, in climbing and you know, so I'm never, it would take me years to sort of get to that point. So yeah, I just, that was okay for me to research. But for Norway, I just, I felt like I needed to, to be there. And I'm really glad that I went. 
and had because well part of it was i i went and interviewed um a co-director at the nordic office of architecture to get my facts right about building right there because i knew i can't fudge that i need to be up to speed with all the legals and and the actual logistics of building well it was two houses in the end in the book um but yeah i just i was so fascinated by the culture and by the the landscape and all of that and i'm really glad i, I went in that instinct because i feel it was both transformative and I was lucky because one of my children is autistic and for a long time I, I couldn't I couldn't leave um, at all because she, she also she was she is still attached to me but she was nonverbal then so I couldn't even call her to say are you okay are you happy whereas now she is verbal and so that was the first time I'd kind of gone um, and it was the longest I'd ever sort of gone for 12 days which felt like a big it was quite scary but, that is um, a long time, though. Like twelve yeah. days is, yeah, yeah. It but seems it's, like a long time, especially she, now. She was still able to FaceTime me every day, and um, well, all my kids did, and and shouted at me to come home. But um, it was it was just it was terrific. I got so much done. Gosh, about <laughs> three people underfoot. I have no idea. <laughs> 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 so if anybody who's watching and listening i would also um uh i love the idea of watching youtube clips for some reason my brain never goes there i'm i go like right to google earth and and mm. hone in on like cities and neighborhoods yeah. and walk through this is uh like for what i'm writing now there's a portion of it that takes place someplace where i have been but then there's a chunk of the country where i haven't been yeah. And I'm like, oh, how do I get from someplace I've been to someplace I have been, but I've not been anywhere in between. Mm. So Google Earth uh, is another yeah. writer's friend. For I sure. Yeah. And I, I, I also think, though, there's things that you, you that you happen upon or you, you, you know, just being there, the things that you can't plan. So I think where possible, I would I would try and go. But yeah, Google Earth is, is a good tip. Exactly. Yeah. Especially um, if you have some like real life experience in between to like uh, to bring the emotion in, but then fill in the blanks with Google Earth, YouTube, anything we can do right now while we all sit in our tiny home offices. Yeah. Mine is my bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are out of time, sadly. Um, CJ, thank you for being here. Uh, when your next book comes out, we would love to have you back. Uh, we'd love to have you back just on, we should have a battle of the accents episode where we have all of our, our Northern England and Northern Irish uh, guests come back and we just close our eyes and you guys can say words and we'll try to figure out what they mean. So you can be like, treacle. And Allison and I will know that that means molasses. It's molasses. So thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, thank you, Vox Vixens, Trisha and Allison. Uh, thank you to Roman, Saratin, my husband, and our producer. Thank you, Pam Stack, our executive producer, and everybody at the Global Authors on the Air Network. There's a comment. I can't read it. I'm not wearing my glasses. Uh, I'll hop in. Uh, Alisa Von thank you for sharing with us today, CJ. Love listening to you tell your stories and to your voice. Thank you as always, Vox, Vox, Vox Fixed in 5-2 Crew. And you, be wary of those randy elk.
Oh, Randy Hunk. Um, so we have two weeks off, everybody. Vox Vomitus has two weeks off. We will probably pop in for like a, a, a mid-Christmas break. Hello with Eggnog, where we also uh, tell you our schedule for the next uh, January and February. That's all being finalized now. Uh, if you are around tonight, I would say, and that's tonight, Wednesday, December 16th, is it the 16th, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Authors on the Air Book of the Year Awards are happening. Uh, I am one of the five nominated authors. I will be hopefully wearing a sparkle dress that I bought last year right before quarantine, so... I don't know if it fits anymore, <laughs> but it is the, the dress in my closet that was bought for a red dress gala in March and uh, still has the tags on it. So stay tuned tonight for that. Uh, wish me well. Give me comments. Uh, congratulate the other people that I am nominated with, because honestly, I feel like it's the Oscars. It's huge. Uh it is an honor to be nominated. So that is tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. CJ, thank you. Thank you, Vox Vomitus Vixens. Everyone, this has been a copywritten podcast. Don't steal us.